ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out (laughs) on this podcast. What I'm going to talk about is black. What defines blackness? Are you black enough? Are you too black? Um, I came to this podcast idea, uh, one, because at the time of this recording, it is the month of February. And of course, you know, February is Black History Month. So what I decided to do was kind of touch on some black issues or things that deal with uh, us as a people. Uh, For those of you listening um, that don't know me personally, I'm black. Uh, So I I thought I'd put that out there just in case you didn't know. Um, But yeah, uh, I I just got to thinking about, you know, doing some things in the month of February uh, as it relates to being black. Um, one of the things that I've always found interesting is, um, particularly when blackness is questioned. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, sometimes mostly from black people, they tend to question you know, is someone really black? And sometimes it has something to do with their ethnicity, you know, who they're related to, who they're married to, or whatever the case may be, who their parents are. Uh, Other times it could be maybe where they stand politically um, or any number of things. And then sometimes we question, you know, if someone doesn't necessarily kind of go with the flow as far as the thought process, um, questioning blackness as well when it comes to that as well. So, you know, a couple of things, you know, I wanted to touch on. Um, one thing that I've always found interesting is, uh, and we saw this a lot uh, with this last political cycle or election, election cycle, excuse me, um, what I always find interesting is the pushback or the feedback that we tend to get from uh, black Republican leaders. Now, generally speaking, if you follow politics, you know that for the most part, you know, not everybody, (laughs) but black people don't normally uh, fall under the Republican party when it comes to politics. Uh, Again, not everybody, because I can't say that for sure. Um, and not every black is a Democrat. Uh, quite a few black people are Democrats and uh, there are quite a few black Republicans as well. But I think what I tend to see is that when you have someone, uh, who may not, like I said, represent what you think politically and you're not on the same page politically, then their blackness is questioned. And uh, I will admit some of it, (laughs) some of it is comical. Uh, 
And other times, you know, you can run into people or hear people talk and you're wondering if they are running from their blackness. Because at the end of the day, we're black, right? Uh, And what I mean by that is that no matter how much money you make, no matter where you work, (laughs) no matter where you go to school, no matter how cool people think you are, at the end of the day, you're black. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because I will be the first to tell you, if you don't remember anything else that you've heard on this podcast, I'm black and I'm proud to be black. In fact, I wouldn't want to be anything other than black. I'm pro-black like Craig Hodges. <laughs> That's a little basketball reference for those of you who may or may not know. Craig Hodges uh, famously played with the Chicago Bulls uh, in the early 90s. And uh, when they won the championship one year, uh, Craig Hodges is, you know, teams go to celebrate the um, their championship. They go to the White House. Uh, Craig Hodges showed up at the White House in a dashiki. And of course, his teammate was Michael Jordan and Jordan was looking at him crazy. Like, bro, we, we everybody else got on suits, you and a dashiki. But, you know, but I'm pro-black. And, and when I say I'm pro-black, that does not mean that I'm anti-white. That doesn't mean that I'm anti-Asian. I'm anti-Samoan, what, <laughs> whatever. You can be pro-black and not be anti-white because... Some may say, okay, well, hey, that's a racist statement, but it's not because racism and prejudice, well, now we all can have prejudices, but I don't think that we could be racist as a people against other races because we're not the dominant race. We're not. Look up the definition of racism, and then when you add power and influence into that, that's not black people. But I digress. But what has always been interesting is if you follow history through the history of this country and our existence in this country, obviously we came here uh, (laughs) not on our own uh, ideas and desires. We came here to be slaves, right? So what made us being here interesting was when we first got here, you know, and as we as a people began to mix as far as races were concerned. And again, (laughs) keep in mind that we went from being slaves to being free. And in that time frame, in the 1800s, we didn't mix our races with the right white race on our own. I mean, you don't need me to tell you what happened back then. Nonetheless, for a long time in this country, and it's well documented, uh, this country operated under the one drop rule, meaning that if you had one drop of black blood, you were considered to be black. Now, I know, you know, in 2021, uh, You can be biracial, you can be, you know, multiple ethnicities. I get it. And I'm not I'm not mad at anybody who is. Um, 
but that's just how we were viewed in this country. So you couldn't say, you know, back in the day that you <laughs> that you were calibrated. What did you say? Calibrated, calibrated Asian. I think that's what Tiger said. Um, but nah, you you and I, and I, and again, I don't want to sound as if I'm not. I'm dumping on people who are here to claim all of their races. I get it. I'm not mad at that at all. You should be proud of who you are and your heritage. But just understand that when people see black skin, they see black. That's it. (laughs) I mean, even in the, as we transition from, even before we transition from slavery, the United States had this thing called the three-fifths compromise. And what the three-fifths compromise basically was, was that the states of the North and the South couldn't even agree on how slaves would be counted in the population. So ultimately, they, they decided that for every five slaves would count as three people for taxation purposes, taxation and representation purposes. So what I'm saying is, even as far as back as the 1700s, we as a people, as a black man, you weren't even considered to be a full human being. You know, so we've come a long way from that, you know, and I'm pretty sure there's quite a few people that would like like to take us back to that part, but we ain't going back. But nonetheless, we came into this country under those conditions under the condition of slavery then we migrated from slavery to Jim Crow so forth and so on but I'm saying that to say this as we've moved we've kind of looked at each other and questioned are you black or better yet how black are you and I don't know that there's necessarily a litmus test for you know, being black. But I will say this much. We've been through more than enough in this country to whether or not you shouldn't even question whether or not we're black or not. Now, I get it for someone listening to this podcast who is not black. What I'm saying might be going over your head. (laughs) But the black folk that are listening, they know exactly what I'm talking about. So the question is, are you black enough? And to that answer, it really depends on who you ask. Because I'll be honest. You know, I always keep it a bean with y'all. There are some people, some black people who have assimilated so deeply into the world. I won't even say the white man's world, just the world that they think that anything that's associated with blackness isn't necessarily good. And for those people, I think you have to (laughs) probably got to pray for them, if nothing else. But no, honestly, there's some there's some black people that think the white man can make better ice. (laughs) White man got ice over here. I'm going over here to the white man. And I say that in jest, but there honestly are people 
black people who think like that. Okay, I got to live over here because one, for so long, we couldn't live over here. So I'm living over here. And, and if I live over here, I get to go to this. My kids can go to this school. I can be in this community. And it looks nice that I have 90210 on my zip, zip code. <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of 90210. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in this community and everything's hunky dory. But in doing that, Am I removing myself from some of my blackness, some of my heritage? Maybe, maybe not. It depends on how you carry it. And it depends on how connected you stay to the people that look like you. Because you can live in the suburbs and, you know, be assimilated into a different, whole different world and still be connected to your community or the people that look like you. You can. But it takes a conscious effort to do that. And sometimes black folks, some black folks don't do that. They just don't. And again, I'm not knocking anybody for wanting to do things differently. Not saying every black person got to stay in the hood. Who who want I mean, who wants to stay in the hood? I know black people that don't want to stay in the hood. But because you moved from the hood into the white suburbs, do you lose your blackness? No, I don't think so. You can. But that's not necessarily something that automatically has to happen. It's up to that particular in- individual, I think. And again, there's no litmus test for us as far as being black. I think one of the things that segregation did or integration did, you know, it allowed us to be in places where we couldn't be before. But there's a very particular caveat that you have to remind yourself about when it comes to that. As a black person, you should be wanting to go where you're accepted, not tolerated. As many of you know, I'm, I'm a product of a historically black college and university, an HBCU. I went to South Carolina State University. And, you know, honestly, growing up in in the state of South Carolina, I had absolutely no desire, (laughs) no desire to go to the University of South Carolina, no desire to go to Clemson University, no desire to go to the College of Charleston, no desire to go to any other white school in the state of South Carolina or any other place, any other state for that matter, to be honest. For me, what worked was an HBCU. And I get it. That's not necessarily going to work for everybody. So I'm not. And I wish I had time to talk about. HBCUs, but that's on a that's on an upcoming podcast. Trust me. (laughs) But. Again, there's no litmus test. Are you black? Maybe. You know, we went from, again, slavery to Jim Crow to the civil rights movement to the point where we were standing and singing in unison. Say it loud. 
I'm black and I'm proud. And that was an actual movement. The 70s were, were a different time for black folk. I mean, we still had our struggles, but it was a different time. And then the 80s, once the 80s happened, again, a lot of families, a lot of black families were able to assimilate and go and have their kids in different schools and be in places that they normally weren't before. And a lot of times they were welcome in those places, in those neighborhoods, in those schools, in those communities. And at other times they weren't. And it's a proven fact that there has has been redlining when it came to home ownership. To the point where the federal government said, "Okay, well, hey, we'll let the blacks buy houses. But we're going to give you this one little corner over here. (laughs) We're going to give you this one little corner over here. And I mean, I I wish I had time to talk about, you know, (laughs) gentrification and, and how it has you know, taken over some of the major cities where and even like me in the city where I live, Atlanta. When I moved here in 1997. You know, it was a big thing to live in the white suburbs for some black people, not all, but there also were huge black suburbs. And I understand Atlanta is a little it's, a, it's it's kind of an anomaly in that fact, because you don't have as big of black populations in the suburbs like you do in this particular city. So I understand it's an anomaly in that fact, but even in that the federal government said, okay, Hey, well, we're going to give you certain parts of Atlanta. We're going to make sure that you have housing and then we're going to have housing projects here. And then, you know, there was an influx of people moving into this, you know, moving out of the city. And then the prices went up and then people fled to the white. Well, white people fled to the white suburbs going 30, 40, 50 miles north of the city, north, south, east and west of the city. And then the housing boom hit and then they started moving back. And buying things that were dirt cheap. And, you know, ultimately gentrification happened. But I said all that to say this, it goes back to the question I had, is there a black litmus test? No, there's not. How black are you? Honestly, that's something that you have to define for yourself. One of the main fallouts from obviously the, 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 the segregation and was and Jim Crow was a level of self-hate. That we had never seen before as black people. And yes, I'm talking about the big C. Colorism. Now, for those of you listening (laughs) who aren't black, let me explain to you briefly what colorism is. Colorism was to the point where even as far back as the slavery days. Again, I'm a historian, so I'm, I'm just spitting facts here. It's not opinions. In the slavery days, you had house slaves and you had the slaves in the field. More often than not, the slaves that lived in the field and worked in the fields, excuse me, were darker. I mean, they're going to be darker for (laughs) 
<laughs> for nothing else, you're outside in the heat in the south picking cotton. Yeah, you, you, your skin is going to you know, be darker. And then the slaves that lived inside were lighter. Of course, this became a point of contention between lighter shade blacks and darker shade blacks. Or as we would further along in the uh, in, in, in as we progressed, light skin versus dark skin, and it's been going on that long. And over the years, it just manifested, and it's something that I think that was pretty evident at one particular time and then I think it may have died down and then it became back a, a thing again um, and then I, I think it became for some a bias that we weren't even aware of for both white and black people now <laughs> for those of you who don't know me personally or have not seen me before I am a dark skinned chocolate brother right now, I have, I'm going to share some personal information with you here. <laughs> I have never, ever, ever, ever dated a white woman, right? White women, please don't get offended. Oh, actually, I don't care if you get offended. I don't find white women attractive, but that's just me. I mean, white women might look at me and say, hey, I don't find him attractive. It'd be a lie, but, you know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> but. I've never dated a white woman. They cool, not my flavor. You know what I'm saying? No knock on anybody that does. However, I have always found beauty in black women, and I still do to this day. The girls that I've dated up until the time that I've met the woman that I would eventually marry I dated every shade and I'm talking about very light <laughs> to as dark or maybe a little darker than me you know and, and I never it's weird because like I remember being a kid and I couldn't have been no more than about eight or nine and I remember somebody saying Oh, well, he's black. And I'm like, yeah, we're all black. <laughs> because I always saw it like this. When white folks see us or anybody else sees us that's not black, they don't differentiate between, oh, that's dark skinned Kyle. <laughs> or that's light skinned Leslie. Nah, you black. That's it. So. I found it interesting that, you know, the, the girl that I would eventually, you know, date in college and marry. We've been married for 20 years now um, at the time of this recording. You know, like she's lighter. Right. I didn't try to talk to her because she was light. It's just I just talked to her. You know what I'm saying? We got to be cool. And she's really, really dope chick. And. You know, I never looked at it like, OK, I got a light skinned girlfriend again for me. <laughs> as long as I was coming home with a black woman, that's all that mattered. <laughs> because and the reason why I say that, and I know some of you may think well, that's, that's kind of wild, but you got to understand 
my mother grew up in the South. My dad grew up in the North. So my mom wasn't too keen. She wasn't, my mom wasn't too keen on white people, period. In fact, to this day, I don't really know if she really liked white people. She might not. I don't know. I never asked, to be honest. But the idea of her son dating a white woman was going to be, nah, that wasn't going to happen. I don't think, and to be honest, I don't think she ever said, don't bring no white girl here, but she kind of gave off the vibe, don't bring no white girl here. (laughs) But we always had images and ideas of black, and we were always surrounded by beautiful black women. So I fell for what I saw. And I was, you know, intrigued and loved what I saw because one, I loved me. And then I loved my mom and my aunts and my grandmothers. And that's how they looked. And so anyway, long story short, we (laughs) we have four kids. Right. And so uh, the we have three sons and our last child was our daughter and our first two sons. Brown complexion. But our third son, (laughs) he's a little chocolate little dude. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and ironically, he looks, if I showed you guys pictures of me, he looks just like me. And by coincidence, our birthdays are a day apart. But I remember like the little running joke was, I was like, I used to tease all the time. I was like, oh, you you don't like light-skinned guys. You just want a chocolate brother like that. And because I kind of did a scan of the guys she dated before me and they all were dark skin, at least from what I can remember. I mean, you know, they clowns, but I mean, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> but she would say I was her chocolate man. And then when we had our son, he became her chocolate man. So that's her little nickname. She called him the chocolate man. And and that's what it is. And, you know, and our daughter came. She's brown. But. I always said that. <laughs> and I said it jokingly, but I always I said, you got a color complex. And she maintains that she didn't. She said it just so happened to be. And I was like, well, you can look at my women and the women that I dated. They on they were all all types on the spectrum. As far as color. But I found that interesting that we would have that dialogue and it was never anything malicious or anything like that. And I think, you know, in her heart of hearts, she saw me for who I was, not just because I was some sexy, dark skinned kid. Even though I was. Well, maybe it still is, but that's beside the point. But (laughs) the point that I'm making is, is that we often fall victim to this colorism. And you know what's interesting? Like I was, it's something I, I honestly, I didn't even pay attention to. I, I happened to go on Instagram the other day and you know, like they have the little side thing of the Insta, Insta stories or whatever like that. And I just started scrolling and these aren't people that I follow. Cause I follow very few people on Instagram and I started seeing these models. The more that I scroll, the more that I would see these Instagram models. And I mean, you know, they, they got their clothes on, <laughs> But they all kind of look the same after a while. Light skin, long hair, light skin, long hair. Like, I wonder why that is. 
was Instagram trying to tell me something or maybe was I searching for something or something like that? I'm like, I don't know. But it's little things like that that kind of play into the colorism factor. And again, this is something that primarily happens to us. And sometimes for some of us, it's happened so long that we don't even pay attention to it. Now, just for me, and even though I'm married, I mean, I, I ain't trying to holler at nobody, but if I see a beautiful black woman, all I see is a black, a beautiful black woman. She could be as dark as midnight. She is a beautiful black woman to me. I don't say, hey, that's a cute, <laughs> that's a beautiful dark skinned woman. I don't even say, hey, that's a beautiful red bone. <laughs> the word red bone makes me chuckle. Um, But yeah, I... I don't see it like that. And some may be like, well, Kyle, you don't see it like that because you're dark skinned. No, I don't, I don't, I just, we, we didn't grow up like that. We knew of our history and we knew the power of what we've been through. And this is something that we were taught as children, but it was also something that was reinforced by our families in spite of what society showed us. You know, like I mentioned that we have a daughter. So, when she became of age for us to, you know, start buying her dolls, the dolls that she got were black dolls. And it's bugged out because I remember when I was coming up, the girls that I knew in the neighborhood, they all had white dolls. Because in the 70s and 80s, you really didn't have a lot of black dolls. I, I can't even remember any black dolls, to be honest. I'm sure that there were a few, but still. But all of that plays into the colorism. And again, it, it asked the question, are you black? Maybe. How do you define blackness? Is it because you will, you know, participate in a Black Lives Matter rally? Or is it because you will go to a historically black college and university? Or is it because of the music that you listen to? Black people come in all different shapes, shades, sizes, and everything. We are the culture. We are beautiful people. And I'll be honest, we have our biases. <laughs> Just the other day, I was watching um, the old TV show, Everybody Hates Chris. Chris Rock's show, right? And he was joking about how it was when he was a kid and anytime his family would be watching a game show, if there was a black contestant on the game show, they would be rooting for the black contestant. And it was something that they did subconsciously, but they were rooting for the black contestant. And it happens. As someone who watches Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune every night, it happens. <laughs> I don't think it's intentional, but it happens. But again, when you're questioning someone's blackness, it's more than just the skin color. It's more than just what they do or where they go or where they eat or the music that they listen to. How do you define blackness? Blackness really is defined in so many ways, but it's up to the individual to answer that question. How black are you? Are you black? 
Are you black? Maybe. Maybe not. Like I said before, I'm proud to be black. I wouldn't be anything else as we celebrate Black History Month. Black history is 365, to be honest. Now, no, you won't see me posting a bunch of memes and all of this other stuff, but I'm always going to champion for my people because I know what we've been through and I know how great we are. Kings and queens, descendants of slaves. That's who we are. That's who we will always be. And no matter what, you can't run from your blackness. Because when I walk into a store, it doesn't matter how much money I got. Before they see anything else, they see a black man. And so I go into that store with the same ideas and the same principles that was instilled in me as a child. I'll never forget my late uncle Sonny used to always say, when you step in a room, in steps the race. And that's always stuck with me. And again, I've always been proud to be black. I wouldn't want to be anything else. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for checking out this edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast because from time to time this year, I will be dropping bonus episodes. So again, thanks for checking out this edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm your boy, 12 Kyle. I'll catch you guys next time. 5G.